Welcome to Unonymous, the social revolution redefining normal, where you are allowed to be a human. Because we believe that through open conversation and education, understanding will open the doors to acceptance. Because truth without fear is the opposite of fear without truth. So on today's podcast, uh, my buddy Mike and I are going to be talking about the tip of the iceberg, which is uh, the landslide that's coming down based on covid uh, the extreme isolation that we've all experienced and how that uh, impacts mental health and substance use. And uh, talking about that and, and some of the things that we can do to combat that and some of the experiences that we've had ourselves. So without further ado. All right. No, it's... um No, man, I was writing the, the Victor Frankl stuff, right? Uh, Victor Frankl's quoted as saying an abnormal reaction to an abnormal situation is normal behavior. Right. Fair. Um, and then I got into talking about the plank, right? So, you know, the plank exercise, you you know, you sit on your elbows and your toes and you hold it, but you know, when you start, you can do it for like 10 seconds or something. Right. But if I told you to hold it until you can't hold it anymore, there's a difference between that and if I gave you a 20 second countdown and counted down from 20, right? Cause you have an end state, you have a, you have an end thing in mind. Right. And that's kind of what I, I was starting to think about with COVID is a lot of folks, you know, you throw temporary, um, you throw temporary coping mechanisms in play, you know, I'm going to pop a zanny. I'm going to eat a gummy. I'm going to drink, you know, all of which are fine, except you do it enough times, you've created a habit, you do the habit enough times, it creates a compulsion, and then it becomes an addiction, right? Um, so that's what I was kind of writing about, is the fact that we went from something that was temporary to something that has no end. And that is a huge impact to mental health. And we're going to see the tip of the iceberg now as far as uh, we're going to end up with more mental health issues and substance use issues that are going to be coming out. Is it going to be more or are they finally just going to be realized? And that's a real question. You know, that's kind of like, again, you know, the the luxury of being an alcoholic or an addict or whatever we want to identify this week as in recovery is that I am very aware of my unhealthiness. So my unhealthiness... Uh, kind of revolves around compulsions and all my uh, very negative coping mechanisms. And, you know, to kind of expound on what you were talking about is, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, the identity thing going to the, the job, right? So when I woke up from the, uh, the perpetual nightmare I was existing in, by choice, by the way, because uh, I, uh, I was a warden of my own prison, but my identity was tied up in my job. And then I woke up from that with uh, a sober agenda. And, but now um, realizing how much, of I, how much of the things that I put off, I put into my job as opposed to things I needed to deal with in a healthy way, but it had no idea how to do it, of course. You know, um, so that's just looking at Mike and we come up to, you know, a uh, hundred thousand feet and it's like, how many people exist in that state where my only purpose in life is to go into work 
And it's like, I'll just deal with my stuff later. You know, work is more important than I work, you know, oh, family stuff. Yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, I'm going to go to work, you know, and it's just, it's not just relegated to, uh, you know, guys, it's guys and gals. And now, now you're, you're locked in the home with things you've been putting off or the individual's been putting off or I've been putting off. And, and now I have to confront them and I have no idea how to do it. So now that the, primary coping mechanism is gone well hello there wild turkey i do remember you helping me out during this this family thing where i did not want to talk to the in-laws so i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and uh, i'm gonna use you right now don't worry it's it's not gonna be a problem and then before you know it like you said what's our end state when's it gonna end when's it like financial insecurity the family stuff the kids oh my god i got a homeschool da, 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 da. dude it's a powder keg it's a powder keg. And, and, and I agree wholeheartedly, the tip of the iceberg. And we're, we're going to, in, in my humble estimation, the United States was already in a, a massive, uh, you know, mental health crisis. Because yeah, if you look at our country versus Europe, I'm sorry, I, I realize Europe's not a country. I do love your Euro trip, by the way. Uh, but <laughs> you look at us, versus the multitude of different cultures on planet earth we live to work and other cultures work to live you know and it's very very well documented in the harvard business review and and various other things i can't remember off the top of my head tbi (laughs) but we have a compulsion to work for the sake of working in the United States. And that, are, I think, is already a very unhealthy mindset. And that's just my opinion, but what do I know, you know? I don't know, does that, does that feed the beast a little bit or no? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know what you know because that's what your experience is in, and that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. I mean, you kind of hit a note on controls, right? So we, we build this, um, you know, in recovery, talk about the locus, locus of control, internal, external. Um, you know, so there's a lot of an external locus of control that existed around societal norms. Like you said, get up in the morning, go to work. You know, if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. If you don't get paid, you don't have a life. You don't have the rest of the stuff. But what happens when you don't have to get up for work, right? It's what happens when you when you don't have to have your, uh, your controls in place. And then, like you said, you know, it's a chicken or egg were these pre-existing, uh, conditions, not necessarily conditions, but just unrealized conditions, right? This was my coping mechanism that I used, uh, intermittently. But then when all the wheels came off, it was the only coping mechanism that I had. And that's where I think that, that you're kind of making a point is, is the fact that these people that only had one type of coping mechanism, but they had a whole load of controls in place. All of a sudden, that one coping mechanism is it, and that coping mechanism just goes off the rails. And again, you know, but the uh, the uh, the big thing of that again is, is like when you get into that those uh, very predictable controls is we're getting into uh, the womb state. So the other thing I've noticed about our nation, you know, or our society, is we're very natural comfort seekers. I, I realize that's like also, you know, kind of the carbon-based uh, proclivity, you know, or as uh, Thomas Hobbes said, psychological hedonism. <clears throat> we welcome comfort and, 
and will dispel with any discomfort. But, but if the mind is right, you know, um, and, and again, I'm, I'm not speaking as a Sherpa, but just another guy on the mountain is that if the mind is right, then discomfort will no longer be seen as this massive negative but as a growth opportunity or a change, a chance to kind of change, uh, you know, some of the default programming and put it to the test. And uh, in a society of people that demand comfort, even right down to a conversation, like if we don't agree, like what I've seen in this age is like, we don't agree, you're my enemy. I'm like, whoa, hold up, man. They're like, we just don't agree. Like, I don't have to agree with you and you don't have to agree with me. I'm not a tyrant. You know, but how did that come about? Like, and there's, you know, like I said, the, the books I always talk about, The Collapse of Parenting, The Coddling of the American Mind, The Narcissism Epidemic, and the DSM-5, you know, will we'll talk really greatly about how you maturate these, these really bad um, ideas that become default program sets. And it's already, you're already looking at like, kind of like personality disorder-ish uh, lines of thinking, very black and white, no acceptance of the gray. So what's the options, right? Um, this is the thing I started to write about was about positivity. Um, you know, positivity is a decision, right? Um, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that I've found through, you know, the pandemic, um, you know, not being able to see my therapist, Right to talk to my psychologist in person, not being able to have that human interaction in group in person. Um, I, you know me, I don't like people, uh, but I love people in recovery because they're honest, right? Um, so I, I miss that and I miss that interaction. It's, it's kind of funny to say that. Um, but what I found is um, the Zoom stuff is actually pretty cool, meaning I can be on travel for work and you know, 6.30 Monday night, I'm up on my laptop on a computer running a smart meeting, you know, or I'm still teaching on Wednesdays, or I have my doctor's appointment on Tuesday afternoons after work, and I can do it from my car, I can do it from my phone, I can do it from anywhere. So there's a lot of cool things that happen with that. Um, I think the other thing that's happened with some of the other folks I've been talking with in recovery is it's kind of... Um, made their focus more on what's important, right? There's a lot of noise that got eliminated uh, by the pandemic, right? And a lot of that stuff where people uh, narrowed their focus back down. Uh, so that's been kind of an interesting thing. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting is is people talking about how they fill time, right? So uh, somebody was saying, oh, man, I'm binge watching like 12 hours a day. I'm like, well, you're not drinking. So, you know, what's the problem? Uh, the problem is if you go 365 days watching 12 hours of Netflix a day, that's kind of a problem. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, anyways. No, so the cool part is, is what people are finding to do. And uh, what I've found are the people that look for positivity are the people that are finding it, right? And the people that are going off the rails are the people that are internalizing and doing the very depressive woe is me and kind of getting into that self-destructive. Um, so there's positivity out there and there's lots of people that are trying to be positive and it's kind of feeding off each other at that point. 
with what you were talking about. So one of my my uh, my recent, not recent, ongoing uh, struggles. You know, I just retired from the greatest womb on planet Earth. You know, the U.S. military, and um, and I, you know. The, the arrogance of my recovery, uh, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to have a problem with it, you know, because this is how I live now. Everything's OK. You know, things have been all right since March. Kind of been working from home, popping to work every once in a while, fly out uh, to go or uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, do, you know, a lot of phone work uh, for Guardian Spirit, things like that. But now I get out <laughs> and like. So monumental life changes all like converged. It was, uh, you could be a weatherman your entire life and never see a storm like this kind of thing. You got the reference, right? Oh yeah, I got it. Perfect storm. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Keep up folks. John and I are movie guys, um, and TV shows. Are we doing phrasing? So, uh, (laughs) but you know, what, what happened? What happened? Um, my relationship ended you know, sadly, but I had to, and it was for the best. And I didn't realize like how much that affected my stability. Um, and, uh, that really knocked me off center. And then, you know, family stuff, my sister, um, having heart failure and then having a valve replaced and then a pacemaker. And, you know, and I'm just trying to do everything I can to, you know, ease her, you know, suffering. And, uh, at the same time, I catch myself being selfish and complaining to her about a lot of other stuff that's going on. Um, the military messed up my pay because, you know, bureaucratic processes are amazing and (laughs) what can go wrong will go wrong because that's where Murphy truly exists. Not so much on the dive side, definitely in the admin. Um, and then the VA unknowns, like what's going to happen with my claim? Like, how does the VA even work? Does it work? I got to get insurance, like all these things. And they're all colliding during COVID. And now I'm dealing with other people that are kind of in, you know, I'm not going to compare the burning buildings, but they're, they're in similar circumstances. Like they're in a burning building. They're dealing with family crises and all this stuff. And I'm just like trying to monitor myself. And I failed on a number of occasions. I blew my stack uh, just the other day. Um, not too proud of it, but it was boundary setting. But at the same time, looking back on it, I probably could have handled it. Not probably. Let me rephrase. I definitely could have handled it a lot better. And, you know, and I got to be doubly aware of my ego. And I got to be aware of my default programming sets that when they do take the stage, you know, it goes into all or nothing thinking. And I was catching myself going black and white because the predictability was gone and the comfort was gone but it wasn't really gone. It was, it was in uh, a phase change. So it was changing now to a gaseous state, you know, a little less tangible, but still a state nonetheless. But the process of becoming gas is very uncomfortable because it's high heat or high pressure. And that's how you make it. All right, I'm a nerd, but, but that's essentially how I was looking at it. And, and I'm still riding the pain train a little bit, but you know, steadily, stability is coming. Stability, maybe a little bit of predictability. There's a lot of unknowns still, but at the same time, what matters most, I stay sober. I tried my damnedest to do the next right thing and to say the next right thing. 
and to kind of get out of this place because this place is the worst place to be. It's the worst neighborhood ever, you know, and every time I go walking around alone, I get mugged. You know, you talk about, so that's why like you talk about your brain meeting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and the zoom meetings, you know, um, they're not my flavor. I'm not a fan. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't work. It's because it's not my flavor and I don't like it. So it's not my thing. And, you know, I'm still, a, still a child, but I'm still, you know, again, what am I? I'm still an alcoholic. I still have PTSD. I still have traumatic brain injury. Like, it doesn't matter how many seconds I have sober or years. It's like, I cannot forget that. That That is my very human experience. Yeah. Um, I want to catch something that you just said a second ago, um, which was, it's enough, right? Um, I think you said about the Zoom meetings. You know, it doesn't replace human interactions, right? Um, but something that's been coming up with us has been, uh, on a lot of folks, has been it's been enough to keep us from going completely off the rails. Um, you know, it, it's not perfect. It's not what we're used to. It's not, you know, um, it's not completely um, what we're looking for. But is it enough? And can we be satisfied with enough? Um you know, back into the uh, tip of the iceberg, you know, in your in your estimation, you know, what what is it do you think that we're we're standing at the precipice of? I mean, right now, again, we're back in powder keg. Uh, the the powder keg is obviously the uh, this uh, major event that's going to occur in November. Um, and and the, the definitely like, again, my favorite, my favorite aspect of this entire you know, jacked-up machine is the uh, the false dichotomy of it's either this or it's this, and it's like, what about the infinite gray ocean in the middle? So, like, this is the person. If you're not with, you're against, and it's like, dude, come on, man. People have enough going on in their lives. Like, what if we step out of subjectivity and just look at is? You know, maybe then uh, would we be better prepared to. But again, um, there, I can't remember where I read it. Or even maybe it might have just been said and it just kind of resonated with me that <laughs> the, the numbers of people going into recovery are actually climbing right now, which could be could be a massive positive. Not could be, I think it's a, a major positive. I think it is too. I mean, um, you know, I've so, the numbers dropped, you know, with the organizations that I work with, the numbers dropped at the beginning because they were still trying to figure out how to do virtual, right? Um, but since then, you know, it's been, you know, a full, full, full group. Like, for example, um, local organization I work with, they combined two locations for one virtual um, outpatient right? Because they didn't have enough to have all the counselors. Now they're so full that both locations are, are wide open and they're packed. I mean, you get like 18 to 20 people on a zoom meeting, uh, because of this. And what's cool about it is, um, I've actually, I would say half the people in my Monday meeting, I've never met in person, which means they got sober during COVID. 
And that is amazing. Uh, and it's amazing amount of positivity that I find because a lot of folks, when the wheels finally do come off, they realize that, you know, the training wheels had been off for a while or whatever. And just the fact that they lost their controls, um, you know, meant that they fell, but then they fell and they figured out that they fell and they picked themselves up and they said, Hey man, let's, uh, let's go fix it. So I think that's a huge positive thing that's with that. Um, but yeah, you asked what I'm talking about with the tip of the iceberg is, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, financials, right? So everybody's been able to stretch it a little bit. There's a tip of the iceberg on foreclosures that are coming down on rent. Um, you know, the people have been in arrears that all those sorts of financial things are coming down the pipe with the same, same token, the mental health and the substance issues. Um, the last, you know, I'm a nerd, right? I mean, uh, the Kaiser Foundation is an article that I've been reading over the last couple of days, though. Uh, they partnered up with the census, and it was about the impact of COVID. And this is where they went from and working with NAMI. And they went from, hey, one in five Americans have a mental illness to one in three have a mental illness. And like the increase of disorders, like somewhere in, on the realm of like 40%. Um, and, you know, that's interesting. Because I think that's the tip of the iceberg because these things don't get better <laughs> automatically. They go the other direction, right? So we have this recognized diagnosed issue, right? Well, then how much is unrecognized and undiagnosed, right? Because these are the people that haven't talked to their doctors. These are the people that haven't raised their hand that says, I have a problem. And these are the people that nobody's found passed out in, in their own vomit, right? Um, so they haven't been tagged yet. And so just, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I think and what I've been reading is a lot of the coping mechanisms that people have been using that thought they would be short-term coping mechanisms are now turning into long-term disorders, right? Because you can do something for a short period of time and that's acceptable as long as you stop. I mean, think about pain pills, right? You're supposed to take them for seven days because, you know, after surgery or whatever, but what happens is people don't stop, right? And that's fine. You can take it for seven days, but when you take it for 30, 40, 365 days, that's when you're like, Hey man, uh, you're dependent and you got a problem. So I think people's have stretched their coping mechanism to the point. Now it's become to the disorder function aspect of it. And what is the definition of disorder? It's distress and impairment, right? So does something bother you enough that it interrupts your total life, like you're distressed, um, or which is subjective, or it's an objective thing, which is you are now impaired, right? So you're impaired in your, in your external functions, or you're extremely distressed in your internal functions. I mean, that's what disorder is. And so you can take a coping mechanism and use it for a, a period of time and not cross over in that disorder spectrum. But now that you've used it long enough, um, where everything else is starting to become secondary, you've now shifted into disorder. And that's what I think we're at the tip of the iceberg is because there's a lot of people that, for example, the new control is nobody sees me, right? So, um, you know, the other control was I got to get up in the morning, I got to shave, I got to go to work, I got to do stuff like that, right? But now the other control is nobody sees me. And so the, nobody knows how bad I am. And so when you finally get to see the person or finally get to interact with the person, you realize that they're a train wreck, right? And that's where I'm talking about is you're shifting from 
um, albeit an unhealthy coping mechanism. I don't use the word right or wrong because it's not a moral uh, coping mechanism, but there are healthier coping mechanisms than substances, but you're, you're using it long enough to shift over into the disorder spectrum. And that's kind of where I'm talking about tip of the iceberg, because we're going to see it all rolling down. And I think the number one thing that I talk about with Unonymous and I talk about with uh, mental health and stigmas is exactly that. There's nothing wrong with it, right? You're not bad. You're not evil. You didn't make a, you know, you didn't ruin your life. Um, this isn't a moral decision. This is, you're a human, you're fallible. Uh, you use what you had and guess what? It wasn't very healthy. So let's help you find something different. Um, and that's the message, right? Because there's a lot of people that have a lot of negativity rolling around their life right now. Like you said, family finances, everything else. The last thing they want to be, uh, that we want to be doing with them is dropping a hammer on what's wrong with you. You're an addict, you know, or, or something like that. Right. It, it's more like, Hey, uh, your coping mechanism got you here. So let's help you learn a new coping mechanism. And that to me is what recovery and mental health is anyway. So, you know, I'd be, um, uh, very interested to compare contrast this current worldwide thingamajig against the great depression so like looking at the businesses that flourished during the uh, great depression bootlegging and bars so right it's 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 interesting it's interesting it's very interesting you know why because there's you know, as the good book says, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, it's higher level, higher devil, I guess. Like, yay, we have the internet now. It's the same human condition. Nothing's changed. But I, I, what you were driving at, what I think is really great, is like those numbers we have are the numbers that are known, the diagnosis, that like, hey, we, we have this in, uh, we have the metrics on, but what about the ones we don't have the metrics on? You know, uh, we have confirmed kills and then we have unconfirmed kills. So it's like, you know, the, the unconfirmed kills typically outweigh the confirmed kills, uh, you know, by and large. But moving to the next piece of this, you know, if these numbers are climbing, you know, and this is what I find to be kind of the miraculous piece, the the, the good, you know, the, the white hat. You said 40%. That means that people were willing enough to see that what was going on was not okay. Whereas it took this guy 36 years, 36 years. And it was very hard road to hoe to get to that point, you know, even with, um, you know, a suicide failure and still like, ah, I'm okay. I just, you know, Jack Daniels would do that to you, you know, <laughs> like that's... <laughs> I'm fine, you know, like all that stuff. But to hear other people that are like, what I'm doing is not okay and I should probably do something about it. Like I commend them. You know, again, the stigma piece, whether it's, you know, coming out of uh, coming out of the, uh, the, the military industrial complex, you know, where it's like, you know, we want people to come forward and it's like, okay, well, what about you? Well, I'm fine. Well, Okay, you see my, but this is what I'm driving at. Do you see the, the, the revulsion you have to that notion? 
Okay, that's everywhere. That, that hasn't gone anywhere. That's great. We can talk about mental health. We can talk about that. And then when we're saying, you know, the, the magic phrase, others should. Well, what about me? What about me? Because my mental health starts here. It doesn't start out here. It starts here. And that's why I'm a big fan of mental health, or as I like to call it, performance optimization. <laughs> you know, um, it has to start right here. And, and, and identifying, you know, and even allowing people, to, and, and I am a very fragile person. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to beat him. I'm like, oh, I'm hurt. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm a self, I was one of the self-proclaimed alpha male types that beat on my chest. By virtue, I'm a child. I had the fragilest ego on planet Earth. And getting negative feedback is not always great, but now I'm willing to take it. Like, you know, the fact that where I started with my uh, professional, my, uh, my miracle worker, the PhD, you know, she had to really like give me a t-ball stand and a beach ball to kind of whack, you know, whereas now she can, go, she can throw, you know, a knuckleball at me and I'm like, oh God, oh, not good. How dare you confront me with the truth? All right. Okay. I got to write that down. All right. I'm ready to move forward. But, but that's what's sticking with an MH program. You know, my mental health is critical to me because mental health is the functionality of the body. It's the functionality of cognition. You know, how many of my cognitive process or processes were occluded, you know, like a full occultation of the sun because of fear that was the the predominant driving force i'm afraid of how people are going to view me i don't want people to know the real me or what i think is the real me which is you know i'm either good or i'm bad and i always saw myself as it's just nothing but bad and uh and that's where mental health comes into play and it's like the destigmatizing of it you know i think is just going to be uh, kind of a a lifelong pursuit you know, for any society, because that requires a degree of, uh, you know, I got to be careful saying this because <laughs> I don't trust people to tell you how humble they are. Um, I was humbled by getting crushed by my ego. My back broke under the weight of my ego. And that was my humbling experience. But to now make humility an action word versus a concept. You know, it's an action thing. That's what, for Mike anyway, that humility is action. It's not words. It's really action. So if I can lay myself bare with trusted agents, you know, obviously I can't, uh, I've discovered it's not always a good thing to lay yourself bare with certain people because then they'll use that to their advantage, uh, whether they're loved ones or otherwise. But, you know, definitely trusted agents um, is a very cathartic experience and a very healthy experience to let people probe on me and go, listen, I'm concerned because you were acting this way. Yeah, but I said, yeah, but I'm defending it. <laughs> Just let them finish their thought, you know, and, and it's, uh, again, work, you know, I, I would never claim to be a work in progress. I'm just working on progress. And that's something I beat on all the time. Like, Somebody's like, I'm a work in progress. I'm like, then you are a gold medalist compared to me. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry about pedanting. <laughs> pedanting is fine. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to figure out for myself and for you know the, the other folks that I talk to is 
you know, the relation to the time period, right? Uh, this is an indefinite event, right? I mean, you got you you hit something about the elections coming up, right? But it, there's the there's the aspect of doom scrolling. You know, they talk about doom scrolling, and everybody is just so tied in, and they've got anxiety because of elections. They get anxiety because of COVID. They get anxiety because of, of other things, right? It's the unknown. But you're also subjecting yourself to this barrage of every minute. And I would I would argue to say that a lot of the reasons why stuff succeeded after the Great Depression is because people weren't confronted by the Great Depression every minute of the day because they weren't walking around with their iPhones reading the blasting headlines that say how messed up the world is all the time. Um, they put their head down, they went to work, and then, you know, every week they might read a newspaper or something like that, right? And so there's there's space. Um, but back to the timeline. So how do you deal with something that uh, doesn't seem to have an end, right? And, you know, I, I quote Viktor Frankl a lot, right? Uh, an abnormal reaction to an ab- abnormal situation is normal behavior. But the other thing that Frankel does and what he said, you know, is, uh, and I'll mess up the quote, but, you know, he who has a why can endure almost any how, right? Which I think is attributed to both Frankel and I think Nietzsche. But one of the aspects with that is um, how did, you know, if you read Man's Search for Meaning, how did Victor get through uh, four concentration camps, right? Uh, Part of it was what he talked about with purpose and meaning, but the other part of it was uh, he had to believe that this wasn't permanent, right? And that that's a mindset, right? You have to force yourself to believe that it's not permanent. Um, how did I deal with early recovery? Uh, there was a lot of days um, that it was what I call chasing midnight, Right. If I can make it to midnight, it's tomorrow. I made it through today. I got my one day. Right. Um, you know, like four or five days after rehab, I was on a flight to Hawaii, like eleven hours on a plane, and I hadn't been sober on a plane for like fifteen years. And it literally was like every ten minutes. All right, man, I can do another ten minutes. Right. You know, because I know the plane's going to land eventually. Right. So I had this time limit, and what I found for myself is I shifted from chasing midnight um, to now I. I run my clock to nine o'clock in the evenings, right? So 9 p.m. is when I take meds. So, you know, I take my lithium, lamotrigine, I take my doxylamine. So, um, you know, I take magnesium, I take some melatonin and things like that. Uh, So at nine o'clock is when I take meds. And so my effort for protecting myself from the day and the day's stressors and everything else ends at nine o'clock because that's my... After that is when I give my brain time to just take off. So I'm either playing a video game or I'm watching something after that and just letting the the machine decouple. Uh, So I went from midnight to nine o'clock. But one of the things that I've found for me and that I've also suggested for other people is to adapt something like that, right? I don't have to make it forever. I don't have to make it to what Dr. Falsey says we're going to be in this until like 2022 or some crap like that, right? Um, I don't have to make it to 2022. I don't have to make it till tomorrow. I just have to make it till tonight. And I can do my life in a bite-sized chunk because that's manageable. Now, if I'm trying to do my life in a six-month projection and try to figure out, you know, am I going to school next year? Am I doing something else like that, right? How am I going to be sober three months from now? I don't know. 
How am I going to be sober tomorrow? I don't know. You know what? I'll figure that when I wake up. Um, and part of that is I'm putting tools in place to help me when I wake up, right? But I only have to be sober right now, and I only have to be sane right now, and that's going to last till 9 o'clock tonight, and then I'm good. <laughs> and that's just the way that I roll, man. Um, so in, in that, right, if we're dealing with something that is an indefinite stressor, uh, what's something that you do or something that you would suggest for others or any thoughts on that? Well, again, you know, like, uh, this guy I know, uh, he's got white hair and he's kind of a nerd. He gave me man's search for meaning. Um, and <laughs> you know, like going into the, what was me? Um, that was, that was kind of my existence. Uh, not kind of, that was my existence. You know, living in the the, the victim mind, um, it was a it was a very dangerous place to be because you know everything's permitted. It's fine. I'm disenfranchised. You know, I I deserve this. I deserve 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 deserve. And that's a that's a dangerous word. It's a very subjective word. It's not very objective at all, and uh, is dependent on you know what uh, emotion. You know, and like. If, if I'm a raging alcoholic and my emotions bring me to drink, then should I trust my emotions? Nah, I think it should just fall back into mathematics, you know, absolute truth. But um, as far as coping mechanisms go, um, I identify heavily with binge watchers. Uh, you know, it is a, it is a temporary respite. Um, I, uh, I kind of sort of binge watch the fades, but not really. I just would watch it at night. When I need to shut my mind off, um, uh, I'm a sci-fi nerd. So um, I was tickled pink, and I had nipples so hard they could cut like space and time. When I found out the Expanse season five is uh, coming, so I was like, "Yes!" You know, because I'm I'm a nerd and I'm learning Belter as we speak. But you know, there's other things that I do. Um, um, you know, on top of uh, you know all my other magical things, I got. Uh, TBI, and by virtue from that, I kind of have ADD, not kind of, I definitely have it, where like I, I'm constantly occupied because I'll be in the middle of something and I'm like, you know, I'm going to go do this now and I'm going to go do this now. But, um, you know, I just moved into a, a house and uh, there's no shortage of things that I can be doing in my free time, um, you know, when I have free time. Uh, I've been very occupied, you know, pulling uh, close to like 60 hour weeks. Uh, helping out with the family business, helping out with uh, my mom, but I, I caught myself going back into a very dangerous place, uh, you know, and it's it's not, it's I have to remember that no matter what happens, that my sanity has to come first. It has to come first because an insane mic is a bad mic and a bad mic is a pathological uh, mic for others, you know, and the, the, my, my pathology affecting me alone is great, but it's, it, I live on planet earth with other human beings. So at least I am aware enough of myself to know when my cheese is sliding off the cracker, but these healthy things to do, um, that I picked up in rehab and the, uh, combat PTSD clinic, you know, activate, activating the right hemisphere of the brain. Like let's do something creative. Like what? Like anything. I don't know. So I made candles. I would make candles. Yeah. I love making candles. It's fun. I'm a man and I enjoy it. Um, I play the didgeridoo. Uh, you know, I, I love drawing. 
Um, my sister, uh, who's who's uh, I'm helping recover from her heart surgery. She is a amazing artist, and she like helps me with all kinds of projects. Like the other day, I was making a little cat scratching thing for my my four legged pain in the ass. Um, you know, because I I'd, I'd go to the the store and get him those cardboard scratchy things, and I'm just looking at it going, this thing's fifteen dollars. Like I can make one of these. Like, what am I doing? I'm paying like 1000% markup for something that I can make. So I started making it yesterday, um, started cutting the slats out. And then I started being Mike again and getting un- impatient with it. And I'm cutting it uneven. I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'll put a table saw on them, <laughs> you know, like, but, uh, but just stuff like that. Like, it's not, it's not just like a good way to kind of separate, but it's also useful. Like I'm, I'm being useful to my little critter. So I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. So no, no, no. it was uh, just something you said about the right side of the brain and the creativity um, kind of mirrors something that I do for myself. And I talk to other people about is projects. Like I love having projects, right? Cause I, you know, part of that's kind of a compulsive side of me, but the other part of it is I, I know myself bored, but then there's another aspect of it is um, mechanical actions or that mathematical side of your problem solving part of your brain doesn't have anxiety, you know? So if you're being crushed by anxiety is a cognitive issue, right? Um, I mean, it's a chemical issue as well, but it's a cognitive issue. Like you, you have a fear of something or there's an irrational fear of something, right? Um, a lot of it's related to cortisol, etc. but what I've found is that repetitive mechanical um, events, like I'm not going to say knitting, I don't knit, right? But there's folks I know that wood carve, but there's, you know, for me, like cutting and measuring wood and, and building something is a very mathematical, very mechanical, very repetitive. Uh, for example, working out, running, rowing, that's a very mechanical, very repetitive event. Um, different things like that. And that completely uh, decouples that anxiety part of my brain from something that's a physical action. It's more, um, I don't know. I don't know the, the, the section of the brain that I'm talking about, but I know what it does for me. It just takes me from the, the cognitive anxiety aspect of it to more of just a functional thing, like just doing something, um, is what helps me get through stuff. I don't know. I, I kind of, was always enamored with, um, you know, fight club. And when Tyler and Tyler are in the kitchen and he's like, this is lie. And then licks his lips, kisses his hand and pours the lie on it. And something really interesting about that, that moment is, uh, the lies burning his hand and he's freaking out and he's trying to go back to his escape, his escapes from pain. You know, he's like going to like think of the woods and Tyler's like the other, you know, Brad Pitt's character is like, no, this is your pain. Sit with it. And there's something really interesting about that. You know, like I get it. Tyler Durden you know, is a kind of anti-hero, but there is something very unique or very powerful about that, that they can sit in their discomfort and Bruce Lee, um, in his amazing book, The Tao of Jeet Kune Do, said the only way to be free of a disease is to make company with it. Make company with it. Embrace it. And eventually you'll be free of it. You know, um, and uh, 
again, you know, looking at our addictions. It's the more I try to distance myself from that reality is the more I'm coming to it. Whereas if I sit in it and understand what's actually going on, you know, and that, that, that takes a lot of introspection. And that's why, again, I love people in recovery because introspection is where we have to exist. And uh, I noticed that a lot of people in recovery are more akin to the white blood cell, their helper T cells, their white cells. And, you know, we <laughs> tend to have uh, some issues getting along with the red blood cells, you know, but by virtue, like we need each other, you know, and it's really interesting. And I noticed that a lot of people in recovery have a magnitude of compassion because they understand suffering on uh, those, those much deeper levels. And I don't know if that's uh, kind of relevant to what we're talking about, but it's, it's just something I noticed. And that's why going back to like, I'm an escape artist. Like I love my escapes, uh, working out for one, but I can get pathological with working out too. Like I can get uh, like too into it because I, I love the endorphins, you know, when I'm taxing myself completely out and now it becomes very bad for me. Um, it's again, finding the, the balance in life, you know, in these projects and all these things, but you know, meditation you know, we talk about meditation and I'm not some freaking booty sofa either where I can just sit there and, and meditate. Like it takes Herculean effort for me to meditate, to sit there and focus on breathing. Cause my brain's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And in, uh, the, another great book that I read is called the handbook of the navigator, um, where he, he talks about that voice. He calls it the babbler to quiet the babbler. And that, that's an entire book about getting to a higher level of meditation, like transcendental meditation, I, I believe. Um, but first, you know, before we get to the nail gun, we got to kind of work with the hammer, you know, so to speak. And that's where it's, it's these processes, but that the author is so awesome at kind of unfolding it. And I didn't necessarily agree with everything he said, but there's, doesn't invalidate anything that he said. So that babbler was that voice that keeps me up at night. You know, well, what if this happens? What if that's going on? I'm like, oh, turn the TV on. Oh, take sleep meds. Oh, oh, God, I need a drink. Oh, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. I kind of do, but I don't. I don't. I'm going to drink, you know, and that's, and, you know, that's what I would do because I couldn't shut the babbler off. So being able to sit with the babbler and tell it to shut up and one I don't mean to go on too long, but one thing I, I did the other day is my brain started to do that. Um, I was going back to my relationship. Again, it's a very painful breakup for me. And then my brain started going in some very dark uh, corners in, in uh, make-believe land. And then finally, I just told it, you work for me. I don't work for you. You work for me. And I'm tired of this. Stop torturing me. And I know that sounds insane to say, but that that is like me roping in my subconscious. Like, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you. And we need to start working together. Because the alternative is I go back to drinking and I go back to suicide. And that's it. No, that's a death sentence for me. So no, you work for me. I don't work for you. I'll buy that for a dollar. 
So, yeah, kind of just to wrap up a little bit was uh, I always try to end end up talking about positivity, right? And positivity is a mindset. <laughs> ah, yeah, whatever. I mean, positivity is a mindset, right? And that's just something that uh, I always try to give people my positivity. I try to, you know, I talk to people about feeding off of positivity. Um, but the main, the main thing that I find off of positivity is the fact that uh, you're not alone, right? You know, there's well over 20, whatever survey you want to watch, um, 27 million people in America that are in recovery. Um, you know, when they say one in three Americans now with a diagnosed uh, mental health illness or issue, especially during COVID, you know, one in three, right? So guess what? You're not special. You're not alone. Um, you know, there's all sorts of people around you that are going through the same thing or something similar um, that can be there for you that you can have conversations with. But the number one thing about that is stop wearing a mask, right? Take it off. Have a conversation. You'll be surprised. Every time I have a conversation about mental health and recovery with somebody, they either say something about themselves, about their loved ones, about somebody else that they know. And all of a sudden, like people are starting to realize, hey, man. This is just part of life. You know, this is just part of being normal. Um, and the thing of, you know, COVID's not the first pandemic that the globe has seen, right? You know, when I talk about the Black Death that killed almost, you know, damn near all of Europe, you know, and guess what? We survived, you know, as humans and as a, as a species. Uh, and we got better after it. And that's the thing, you know, we've been through this before. We'll be through it again. Uh, humans are resilient. Uh, we've survived countless horrors, and we can continue to grow, and albeit uh, continue to overpopulate the planet <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? But no, the, my main message that I try to leave out with people is is uh, is one of positivity, and just the simple fact you're not alone. And I mean, that's what Unonymous was, you know, founded for. Really, is just to have conversations like this with normal people in recovery, normal people with mental health issues, and just basically uh, let people know that uh, there's lots and lots of people that are like you, and uh, we all care. So, Mike, anything to add? Uh, you know, again, it's a uh, <laughs> you know the thing about you know thinking you're a unicorn. You know, it's a uh, it's a dangerous animal, you know, mostly because they don't exist. You know, the, the unicorn, the, for, the the recovered unicorn you're talking to or reformed unicorn you're talking to right now, you know, like, I know you've heard this plenty of times. You're like, I'm not, a, I was never a unicorn. I was a jackass. I had an appliance duct taped to my forehead trying to tell everyone I was a unicorn because I had terminal uniqueness. And then as the, as recovery came into my life, this, this very myopic view of earth opened up and I could start to see Earth and realize how completely unoriginal all my problems were. And that was the greatest moment ever. I mean, it was just a little bit crappy. Uh, oh, God bless those guys. They're racing on the road. No big deal. Um, but uh, no, you know, like it was, it was kind of relief to know that this has been done before, which means there's hope. You know, and those of us who are old enough to remember when AIDS uh, hit the streets and it was freak out back in the 1980s. Like people were freaking out about it. 
there was a, I mean, obviously there's a lot of uh, uh, bias and tension and, you know, the, uh, the uh, gay and lesbian or the gay community really took a, a they, they got a bad name and um, there's a lot of discrimination because of it. But, you know, again, we bounce back from that. And what, what came from that? You know, again, the motto of uh, Unonymous is truth without fear. It's just truth. It's just truth. You know, and the more we learned about COVID, COVID was a giant jabberwocky and like every talking head was out there saying it can jump from surface to surface and you'll lose three inches off your spine and you're going to die. And who knows, like the craziness that was coming out of it. But what came out of that it came truth. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is doable. This is, we're going to take protective measures and, and, and uh, just taking an opportunity, these opportunities that present themselves in the course of a day, you know, um, to be good and decent to somebody with no expectation of anything in return, that 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 goes into a condition that that, that I can I consider Mike considers the actual human condition, the human experience is moving past that you know, full stomach to orgasm existence, that biological nonsense. It's like, oh, that's human nature. It's like, no, human nature is growth. That's human nature. Human nature is growth. Everything else is a damn excuse, you know, and if if we can endeavor to be more compassionate, compassionate, at least this guy can endeavor to be more compassionate than than I am really, truly uh, having that existential experience as a human being and less of a human doing. And, uh, you know, and that's why I love recovery. These conversations are the only conversations that I consider worthwhile. And to your point, I get to have real conversations with people that are not in recovery and they're blown away that I could be so open about my brokenness. And um, when I was out speaking in the Navy, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, we really appreciate the fact that you can make yourself so vulnerable in front of people. And then it, it puzzled me. And then I, I hit him with this. I go, well, let me ask you this. Am I vulnerable because I can say these things out loud? Or was I vulnerable before because I was terrified to? Where was the true vulnerability? So, yes, I opened myself up to a lot of attacks. But in the end, I know who I am. And I know who I'm not. And I don't want to go back to pretending I'm somebody I'm not. I'm a nerd. I'm a hugger. Um, I'm, I'm a lot of things, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not just the bad things I've done in life, you know, when I lived in darkness. But the, it was the compassion and empathy and, and genuine love that others had showed me that really brought me out of the dark. And the selfishness that was the despair. That was always the despair, the self-seeking uh, apparatus, the, the self-centered apparatus. Of course, it wouldn't be because I'm in victim mind. So it's like, well, I'm doing this for the greater good. So again, you know, an opportunity to just do something good and not say anything about it. Um, an opportunity to hold my tongue you know, I learned how to do in sobriety. I do not have to participate in every argument I'm invited to. And another thing that sobriety had given me in my life is boundaries because I didn't have them before, you know, and, and 
and now that I have these things, I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful to have that. And, you know, I have right now, this moment right now, and I'm grateful for that moment. You know, anytime I'm getting to talk to uh, John or anyone else about recovery, mental health, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and we can go down these dark holes and come out the other end just smiling. And, you know, the other, the other aspect of it is laughing at ourselves from our plight in the past like yeah i was a total five-year-old about these things and guess what i still can be a five-year-old like i was a five-year-old the other day <laughs> so so again uh recovered not cured and you know what that is totally good enough for me and that is totally good enough for me as well mike i appreciate that um well folks thanks for listening and uh, we'll definitely be doing this again if you want to find us, uh, you can find us on the web at www.unonymous.com. Uh, you can find us on the socials, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, etc. at The Unonymous. Um, just want to leave with a couple thoughts, Is especially as we're dealing with COVID. Um, listen, you're not alone, right? There are lots of people that are going through. There's millions of people that are going through this, okay? So if you need, some, if you need help, uh, reach out. Talk to somebody. All right, take the mask off. There is no shame in asking for help never is i mean that's what we did and uh see where we're at now anyways uh wish you guys the best uh be well